At the end of the day, our job as the Army is to fight and win our nation's wars. At the tip of that spear is the soldier. Our adversaries are also learning these lessons, right? And they're accelerating their processes too. It doesn't really matter what branch you are, what MOS you have. What you represent around the world is two things, hope and fear. Welcome to The Convergence, the Army's Mad Scientist podcast. I'm Matt Sanisbert of the Mad Scientist team, and I'll be joined in just a moment by Luke Shabro, Deputy Director of Mad Scientist. Mad Scientist is a U.S. Army initiative that continually explores the future of warfare, challenges assumptions, and collaborates with academia, industry, and government. You can connect with us through Twitter at ArmyMadSci or subscribe to the blog, The Mad Scientist Laboratory, at madsciblog.tradoc.army.mil. On today's episode, we'll be talking with General Paul E. Funk II. General Funk is the commanding general of the Training and Doctrine Command and an American soldier. We'll be talking with him today about modernizing doctrine, what the Army is observing from the Russia-Ukraine conflict, and how it's adapting to the changing character of warfare. As always, the views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the Department of Defense, Department of the Army, Army Futures Command, or Training and Doctrine Command. Let's get started. Thank you for joining us on the podcast, General Funk. Thanks. It's great to be here. Sir, you've had an incredible career with almost four decades of service in the U.S. Army. What did it mean to you to take over as Commanding General of U.S. Army Training and Doctrine Command, or TRADOC? And how has your thinking changed over time about technology and the character of warfare? Well, first of all, I'm a soldier. I like to start all my introductions with, my name's Funk, and I'm an American soldier. I'm also the son of a soldier, the husband of a daughter of a soldier, and a soldier for life. So for me, the most important thing you can do for a soldier to give him the chance to come back for more is to train him or her. And so if, if you consider that, training and doctrine is right up my alley. We have a common language, common lexicon, which is doctrine. And then the training piece gives us the ability to, to survive, fight, and win on our battlefield. That's why TRADOC is so important to me. I joined in 84. In 1984, who was the predominant force for the Soviets, right? We trained against them. The M1 tank was the uh, epitome of technology. The, we trained for, against nuclear threat, the nuclear threat, for, you know, in, in, the, in case there was war. And, uh, you know, the Army was coming out of Vietnam. So that time period, the, how we began to build the Army of the future, really helped us um, shape what it is we're doing. So I look at it this way. I, I, I kind of look at things because I'm the do- training and doctrine guy. I look at uh, things through a DOTLAMS PF lens. So doctrine, organization, training, M being uh, modernization or material, uh, and the L being leadership or leader development and professionalism. So the P or people is what uh, gets us there. So what happened in the 80s as I was coming into the force? We've got new doctrine. It was airland battle. We've got uh, new, new organizations in the O. We got the Ranger Regiment, the 160th. We've got the special mission units. We began to reorganize ourselves into combat teams, and we, and we, we began to build on that, the nature of combined arms warfare. We built the training centers, and from the training centers, we've got them probably the most important aspect which was the after-action review process. That gave us a critical look at what it was we were doing. We weren't, uh, you know, we weren't patting ourselves on the back. We're actually really deeply into our business and how it works and what's working, what's not working. 
and that was the training centers. And then from there, we did have the M, the Big Five, which actually started out as the Big 13. You know, every every material solution uh, dwindles down to how much money you got and what, what it is you're trying, what's your most urgent needs, and those are what you try to solve for the future. And then you come down to the probably the most significant arena in leader development was actually the professionalism of the of the NCO court, and and so and the officer court. So we we developed the education system, and the all and we took the all volunteer force. Right. So we went out of the the draft. The draft ended after Vietnam, and we drove to the all volunteer force. Through that, we professionalized the, the opportunity to be soldiers, and uh, that was incredible. So that was the 80s. That's the Army I came into. And that bought us a quarter century of dominance on the battlefield. It really did. And while war is changing, the, the essence of it is really not. It's still a human endeavor. And so being, being a training and doctrine creator and having the ability to be the one associated with modernizing not just our equipment but everything we do, from an organizational standpoint to leader development to training to the new the new way we're going to man the force, all of that drives towards um, the changes that we're seeing today. And if you want now, I can go into some of those changes, but I'll tell you that the Army does need change. You know, we got to get back to large-scale ground combat. we we got to remember and remind everyone in the Joint Force that while there are domains, people live on land. The land domain becomes the most dominant because we have to compel people to our will if, if it comes down to that in terms of combat operations, right? We have to compel them. So that's why, you know, we have to start looking at our threats again. What threats are we looking at? Well, obviously the pacing threat has been dictated by all the training guidance and everything else is, is the Chinese. So we have an Army training uh program called 7-100.3, which is Chinese tactics. Uh, and we're starting to build that into the force and all of our educational processes. But we can't forget, and uh, obviously the Ukraine has brought that to mind, we can't forget that the enduring threat is the Russian. And then, yo, we've got to refocus us, uh, us by us, I mean TRADOC headquarters, on what is happening echelons above brigade. What you see what's happening to Ukraine when they, they went to battalion tactical groups, right? And then they forgot to train the, the echelons above them. We can never let that happen. We, are, we, we believe in multi-echelon training. We believe in combined arms operations. We believe in bringing the tools of the whole joint force together, converging, as you know, this podcast is called the Convergence Podcast, converging the, uh, converging the effects of all of our systems and our munitions and our systems against the threat. So we're looking at a new field manual, which is 3-94, Armies, Corps, and Division Operations. And that's that'll, that was published in 21. And then we have Army Training Pay ATP, 3-93, which is Theater Army Operations. So we're looking at all of our echelons to make sure that we have a common reference system. That is what doctrine gives us a common reference system. And then we, in the American way, fit the doctrine to meet the, 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 the changes we need on the battlefield. That's what that's all about. On the people side, we have to generate a new way of thinking about our people. People as a system sounds okay. Frankly, I like the human dom- dimension in that. I like to talk about holistic health and fitness. How are we going to have you have the stamina 
and the longevity and the endurance to fight on the modern battlefield. It's going to be more lethal. It's going to be more fast-paced, and it's certainly going to require a great deal of moving, uh, aggregating and disaggregating, driving towards. So what do we got to do? We have to understand that the soldier still needs to be highly trained, disciplined, fit, and operating in cohesive teams. If we take that aspect and we look at it in those dimensions and apply the holistic health and fitness doctrine out of 722, what that gives us is a much better indication uh, for the long term about what, what our soldiers are going to be able to do and how they're going to be able to overcome any obstacle. At the end of the day, our job as the Army is to fight and win our nation's wars. And at the, at the baseline of that, at the tip of that spear, is the, is the soldier. And that soldier decides—some of this is self, self-taught and self-paced, right? You've got to push yourself. You've got you to grow, develop, learn, adapt, increase your strength, your stamina, and your endurance so that you can conquer any obstacle in front of you. So that's—I I, I know I rambled on a bit, but that's actually where I was— uh, wanted to go. You know, as we bring in and think our way through, the most compelling doctrine that we're going to publish this year is our new FM 3.0, which is multi-domain operations. We are at that tipping point now in the modernization program where all of the all of those things, the D, the O, the T, the L, the the P, all of those things need to modernize and harmonize so that we can do a thing called rearm and get ready for the next fight. That's what we got to be able to do. Other than that, it'd be pretty, pretty simple, right? Exactly, sir. Those are some great points, um, and I want to thank you again for being on the show. Um, the whole world right now is learning from the Russia-Ukraine conflict, and you referenced some of that in your previous answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you talked about people, how they might be yep. the most important, and that may be the deciding factor in that exactly. conflict. What lessons have you seen from that, uh, the Russia-Ukraine conflict, mm-hmm. that will shape the future of Army concepts and how Army soldiers fight. I've seen the power of, or the lack of power of, the combined arms team. I've seen that the ability that you must be able to move on this battle battlefield because you can be found, and if you can be found, you can be struck. So I've seen that. I've seen the the, and it's been reinforced to me, the power of leadership. I think you're seeing that from the Ukrainian side, and the absence of leadership on the other side. These are lessons not yet learned, though. We are observing these lessons, right? In order to be learned, we have to be working at them, too, right? We've got to make some changes. And recently, at the National Training Center, we've started to do some of those things, and at the other training centers where we're trying to bring some of these lessons observed into the lessons learned uh, ability. Because the human form only learns two ways, significant emotional experience or repetition. We prefer our significant emotional experience to be in training as opposed to in combat so that when it comes time for combat, we're ready to go. That's what we prefer. But don't forget that our adversaries are also learning these lessons, right? And they're accelerating their processes too. I think they're seeing perhaps the the absence of being able to make tactical decisions on the battlefield. Uh, in a timely fashion. They're seeing the strength of our non-commissioned officer corps, or they're thinking that perhaps maybe they got to decentralize some of the decision-making, right? So I think all of those things and all of our great organizations that do this for a living, that observe these lessons, the, our Trade Arc G2, who's in charge of the o- operational environment for 
for the Army and really for the Joint Force, if you think about it. Uh, then we have CALL, you know, Center for uh, Army Lessons Learned. We also have CAC, the Combined Arms Center, and uh, the Center for Military History. All of these folks are professional observers in these endeavors to help us change our curriculum, change faster than our adversaries, be ready for what's next. All of those people combined make a very powerful collection of uh, organizations to give us the most current so we're making the best decisions against how we're arraying our new doctrine. That's very powerful. No, sir. I think that's an excellent point. And uh, TradeDoc G2 always appreciates the shout out. Yeah. And I, I think that it's important for us as we, as you said, we're a learning organization and we can then integrate these into concepts on uh, how we think about future doctrine as well. Um, but as you said, lessons observed, not yet learned. Correct. Uh, as the jury is still out on on some of these exactly. issues. Now, with the, with the changing nature of the global internet and interconnectivity and the role information information is playing in the Russia-Ukraine conflict right now, should training focus more heavily on gaining information advantage as a critical element of fighting across all domains? We see the huge role that information has played uh, in this conflict. Yeah, well, uh, first of all, I think it's important to note that uh, um, in the information space, understanding the narrative, understand where you're trying to drive to, and being being able to um, influence your, your audiences is important. I see, I see there's probably four audiences on the battlefield today. In our case, if it were us fighting, then you see this with the Ukrainian people. The, the leaders need to influence the, the people that, of which country they're from, right? In our case, because we're an army, well, we also talk to our soldiers and families, right? We, we've got to communicate with them. We're communicating to our adversaries. And... Frankly, we're also communicating to our allies and partners. Those audiences are, are, are really important to us, and we can't afford to lose that. In the crisis or conflict phase, once you're in the conflict phase, you've got, you got to understand the power of information. It is an element of national power, is it not? So diplomatic, informational, military, and economic. So in the information space, you must be able to communicate across that spectrum I just talked about in order to influence an outcome. You have to. So, yeah, we have to understand the information environment. We have to get good at it. Sir, so I want to kind of go down that road a little bit further. Um, during the, the conflict we've been talking about, Russia-Ukraine, we've seen an enormous amount of misinformation and disinformation. How important is it for our army and their families to remain vigilant in these environments? Yeah, it's great. That's a, that's a great question. Uh, our families, uh, you know, trust your chain of command. I think that's where we got to get back to, right? We got to keep bedrock of any our, our entire program is trust. So we got to trust the the information source. We got to make sure it's a recognized source where we're getting the information. And then I like to say trust but verify, right? Go back, ask questions. Uh, don't be afraid to say, "Hey, is this really uh, what's happening?" Don't be so quick to judge, to fire off that, you know, tweet or whatever, Instagram or whatever it is. Take a, a reason studied approach to it and then ask yourself, would we really do that? And then 
If the answer is, I'm not sure, then go ask. But ask your chain of command. Trust your leaders. No, absolutely, sir. I think it's one of the elements um, that you've seen, uh, as as you noted, with uh, trust between the Ukrainian leadership yeah, and their people. Absolutely. Um, and, the, and rather the lack of trust between the Russian yeah. uh, leadership and their people. And so we, we've seen kind of this, this real technological nature of recent conflicts, especially the war in Ukraine, and, and we keep talking about that. Uh, but also the introduction of social media as a major player within modern warfare. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how, how has that helped to shape the way that the Army thinks about future challenges to multi-domain integration and, and yeah. the changing operational Great question. I think what we need to understand is that every person is a, a sensor now, okay? You, in your hand, in that device, you hold the, the, the power of the Library of Alexandria. You really do. And so if you think about that, Every, if every person is a sensor and every person can update, you know, your adversaries with what your locations are in real, near real time, and some would say real time, it's important to note that everybody has to be cognizant of the fact that you can see, the, if you can be seen, you can be struck. So we have to use the proper methods, right? We got we to gotta be able to use camouflage. We got to be able to use speed. We got to be able to sp- use deception. We got to be able to use all of those elements to make sure that if you can be seen and you're still moving, that's a be- different thing. So I think that it really has changed. There's nowhere to hide anymore, right? You have sensor saturation for and, and every piece of it can be formed into a process. So we're going to have to be able to fight in um, reduced technological environments. We are, because your adversary is going to try to take that kind of thing away from you too, right? That's why we got to build on trust. That's why we got to build on our training. We got to make, we got to trust that your response during a crisis is trained in our way of war and is in, you'll respond to the way you've been trained and you'll actually execute the missions that you've been given. Despite, you know, perhaps a lack of guidance or even not even knowing, you know, What's going on around you? That's that's the important piece of this thing. That's why we are different than others, and we have people that take initiative, right? And they and they really do. And that's where our nine commissioned officer corps is. So they understand commander's intent. They understand what it means to drive to the objective. To understand that if you have an, a position of advantage, you should seize it. They understand that. That's that's different than any other country in the world. Sir, I think it's a really important point that you brought up that everyone is a censor now. And the old paradigm was we you know you try to hide from the enemy. Correct. But at this point, we're hiding from everyone. Civilians have just as many censors out there Correct. watching what what the enemy and, yes. and the good guys are doing. Um, so you I have mean, to look hide what from Mr. Musk did, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, think about that. Uh, so you know, non-state actors with satellite capabilities. That's a different. That's a different thing on the battlefield, right? However, you know, there have been networks of spies and things like that all, you know, throughout history. Right? Exactly. Yeah. That's kind of what we've been learning is yeah. the nature of war is enduring, but the way that it is employed yeah, is Yeah, the changing. character and the, yeah. and the tools change. Exactly. They really do. So, so, sir, how can doctrine account for the quick and constant changes and developments in the operational environment? How can the Army's training instill adaptability while accounting for multi-domain threats and integrating those multi-domain operations with traditional LISCO? Well, first, in our operational environment, we need to train against an, a, a thinking, living, breathing enemy, right? Opposing force. Let's not call them enemy. Call them an opposing force. we got to be able to, to do that. 
And if we can react uh, in the human dimension, given all the other categories, if we can make something happen because we've outthought, outacted, out, outmaneuvered our adversary, that's a very powerful thing. That's what makes us different. We believe in the initiative, right? We actually believe in, in perhaps disregard for orders if an opportunity presents itself where you know you're going to get to a position of, of advantage. And then you tell why you did it and what's going on. And so once you get a chance to brief your boss, you know, the chairman, he'd say that's mission command, right? So you, you disregard for orders when your opportunity presents itself for, to gain an advantage for your force. That's, that's what, he'd, uh, what he'd like you to be able to do. Don't just fight the plan, fight the enemy in front of you. That's a, that's a little different too, right? A lot of people, and, and a lot of things go into synchronizing operations, and they can be unhinged by any number of things. One, one of the most, uh, you know, time becomes one of the bigger problems, right? So we, in the essence of time, we have to act faster than our adversaries. That matters. No, sir, I think that's a great segue to a, a point that I wanted to ask you about. And as you noted before, the ability for soldiers to think and move and quickly aggregate and disaggregate, um, we're, we're potentially looking at not being able to do kind of set piece operations right. and we need flexibility and adaptability. And so with that, you know, one of the things you talked about as well was uh, holistic health. And, yeah. and part of that is um, mental acuity and the ability to... Uh, operate in these kind of dynamic environments. So do the demands of operating effectively in multi-domains place emphasis on or maybe increase demand for recruiting soldiers with specific skills or characteristics? First of all, I think it would be fantastic if everyone in America served, right? That would make my job as the recruiting guy a lot easier because everybody served. But uh, what do we need? I think we, I think that's going to adapt. I, I, we actually build, you know, military occupational specialties based on, you know, what we would call knowledge, skills, and behaviors, right? We build on that. But what do you basically got to be able to do? You got to be disciplined, trained, highly fit, diverse. We need to, we need to be able to uh, have a diversity of thought, diversity of action. We we need to understand. But we have a ha- also need to come together on a common purpose. That's what thus that's why we have mission, right? So if you think your th- way through what I was trying to explain a little earlier was discipline, disobedience, right? That's what we're trying to do, right? We're trying it, that if the plan says one thing, but you get a read on the battlefield that's different, you take that opportunity and grab it because it's there. There's fleeting windows in time. There, you know. Think of the 70-30s thing battle in Desert Storm, right? Uh, think about I mean, all, all number of things in history where people have seized the initiative through a little bit of uh, discipline, disobedience, and, and actually turned the day. That, to me, is the American way of war. That's what we understand. That's a power of us. So as long as our folks are disciplined, trained, fit, and, uh, and diverse in thought and action and, and uh, you know ethnicity and everything else— as long as they're ready, but come together as common purpose and common goal, we're going to be in great shape. I think you make another great point, sir, in that uh, it's 
the ability to to flex within that. One of the things noted from the Yom Kippur War was, you know, all these great concepts and material that led to U.S. modernization. But one of the key aspects was Israeli officers that were able to operate semi-independently or independently and take advantage, as you said, of those fleeting windows. Yeah, I mean, if they, if you remember the doctrine of the day, right? We had agility, initiative, depth, synchronization, right, and versatility. Is that not the American way of war? Those tenets are really important. Now, what are we trying to figure out? What we're trying to do is figure out how do you train this? Well, you train those kinds of things in what we're bringing to the forefront, which is the synthetic training environment. We're actually being, we want to be able to, to live, work, and play or train in a, an environment that gives us multiple opportunities for repetition. And you can, change the, you can change the condition, right? Not the task or the standards, but the conditions. And you can use your own characteristics. The, if you think about what the synthetic training environment's trying to do for us, it's trying, we talked about there's only two ways to, to learn significant emotional experience and repetition. Well, what if you're in a synthetic training environment as an avatar, but you're using your own characteristics? Go back to the holistic health and fitness program. If you've been doing, if you've been working out, if you're sleeping right, if your nutrition is right, if in fact you're you're getting all the proper, you know, vitamins and minerals and those kinds of things, you're going to operate better, more enhanced in the synthetic training environment. That to me is probably the the revolution in training that's coming. It's being in the training environment all the time, being able to understand the conditions that are happening anywhere in the world and throwing those into the environment and then operating against them. And then truly not just observing, but learning lessons against those things. What, What those kinds of environments give us is the ability to do multiple reps in a short amount of time. And, and so we can learn faster. And if you can learn faster, you can then compete better against your adversaries. Yeah, I think there's so much value, sir, in the synthetic training environment. Mm-hmm. Something that Mad Scientist has explored before yep. with the uh, Center for New American Security, looking at the new American way of training and this idea of, uh, I've seen probably in the Maxwell School leadership on 10,000 hours yeah. to become an expert. How can we get there faster? And I think the synthetic training environment offers that because how much does it cost to put a BCT in the field? How right. much does it cost for these Live fire exercises. Yeah, it's not though, but I'm not trying to get away from the live training aspects of this. Frankly, I want to do all multiple sets and reps before we get to the live so that we enter in higher uh, at a higher level of understanding and training so that the live events become so good. So if I'm if if it's important enough for me to take you away from your family for 30 days, put you out in the mud and the blood and the beer out there and in the in the Mojave or out in the swamps in Louisiana or over in Hohenfels in Germany, if it's important enough for us to do that, we got to enter in. We can't enter in at basic, right? We got to go. We got to get into advanced, and then we got to that living, breathing, thinking enemy gives us multiple sets and reps of dilemmas, which is what we're trying to train against. But if we all have to do, we got but the basic blocking and tackling can be done at home station in the synthetic training environment. If multiple iterations so that we're, we've honed those skills. And you hear TRADOC, our forces command, my great friend Mike Garrett, is, 
is actually doing that, right? He's got his foundational training, right? And don't advance above this level, you know, company until you've until you've mastered the skills necessary, and then you can move to the next echelon, right? And so it's about building expertise again, because we got to be ready. That gives us the ability to adapt. But it, you gotta you gotta start from the basic blocking and tackling first. Absolutely, sir. And one of the one of the key aspects within Tradoc uh, is recruiting and, yes. and building the nation's army uh, from, uh, as General Milley said before, an uh, army that is of and for the people. Yes. And so, in terms of recruiting, we're fighting kind of this never-ending battle right now uh, to bring in the best possible candidates to serve, um, while at the same time in the private sector. We're seeing more benefits, more money, flexibility, and things that, uh, frankly, within the Army can't always offer out to that extension. So how have we been able to still adapt and still accomplish that mil- mission of building our Army as a civilian population? Yeah, changes? frankly, uh, I would say that the all-volunteer force is at some risk. It is. Okay? I mean, we have to have a, an Army that is actually man-trained and equipped to to secure the homeland, right? And to then compel our adversaries. And what we'd like to do is deter them so that they don't want to fight. But if they want to fight, we have to get it over with quick and we got to win. All right? So that's the, that's the army we need. Let me give you some factoids out there that are, that are a little disturbing. 0.04% of the nation serves in uniform. That's in uniform. Only 23%, I've, uh, this has been updated, this is actually a fact now, to only 23% of the youth of America today even qualifies to serve. The biggest two barriers, obesity and addiction. Only 20% of young Americans today play any organized sport after the age of 13. 80% and over 80% of soldiers today that are serving today has had some relative that is served in one of the services. That sounds really cool until you start to realize that the total number of people that has served has dwindled. You know, if we're only getting 80% of the ones that have served before to even be interested in it, and that's to serve in all the services, we got a big problem that's starting to really manifest itself in, in terms of this thing. Also, our competition the American, you know, companies are also they've they've learned some tactics from us too, right? They're, they've got loan rep- school loan repayments. They everybody's going to a fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage. You know, medical health benefits, forty hour weeks, guaranteed vacation. All now, think about working from home, right? So that's another thing we're competing against. So the environment's pretty sporty right now. What we have that nobody else has. We get the ability to wear the cloth of the greatest nation on earth every day. We have purpose, motivation, and direction, right? Fight and win America's wars, secure the homeland, right? I mean, so it's that purpose, that what gets us up, what, what entices young men and women, it's opportunity. And, and those opportunities to serve with the very best, to, to actually lead in, in each other in, into uh, a better place, to be part of something bigger than yourself. All of those things matter. I use the, you know, we've talked about the information advantage and all that business. Let me boil it down to you what I use, these coins that we have. I use those in the information fight. I use them as ammunition in the information fight, right? So I ask two questions every time I, I, award, I award a coin. Why'd you join our great army and why you want to continue to serve? 
frankly, those are the secret sauce that makes us great, right? People join for all kinds of different reasons to get away from things, to be part of something bigger than themselves, for the college money, for the benefits, for the, you name it, they join. But they stay mostly for two, for the people around them and the actual organizations that they've joined that they feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves. That's why they stay. And, and then from there, they gain ex- expertise, they gain experience, they gain knowledge, skills, and behaviors that are going to help them in later in life too, Right. That's part of the deal, right? We're going to give you back, America. You're going to give us your most precious treasure. It's son, your sons and daughters. We're going to give you back a young man or woman that can lead, that is responsible, that believes in loyalty, duty, respect, selfless service, and honor, integrity, and personal courage, that, that shows up on time and actually commits to getting things and making things better in the organization they're in. That's the deal we've made with America, and we can never lose that deal. And just a, a foot stomp to our listeners out there, then remember what you need to be able to tell General Funk uh, if you encounter him for your coin. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, I'd love to hear some of those stories. Some oh, of the answers they're, they're, we put them on, they're actually on our Instagram page. Excellent. And uh, you can see them all the time, mostly on Why I Serve Wednesdays. Oh, that's great. Yeah, Hashtag. That, that secret sauce is, is super important. And I know there's a lot of people working on figuring that secret oh, sauce out. The and stories I've it. seen or I've heard from young men and women are just remarkable. I, you know, I, I mean, just today, we had a great uh, Army major, was on our TRADOC best ranger team from uh, University of Montana. His last name's Blanchard, right? And his, and his partner was Major Slamkowski. Um, and I asked them those same two questions. Blanchard lost his brother in Afghanistan, renewed his purpose, Right. That's why he serves. He serves to make sure that that doesn't happen to other sons and daughters, right? So, by the way, uh, just a plug out for the TRADOC team, by the way. They took fifth. There were four teams out of the Ranger Regiment. And the next team up after, you know, Force Com didn't even field a team. After, after that, the next team up was the mighty TRADOC team of uh, Blanchard and, and Slamkowski. Team 47. They did a fantastic job. Excellent. Team 47, that's great to hear. So let's keep talking people, though. Okay. You've said that people are the number one priority for the U.S. Army. Yes. So just very blunt question. Why are people so important when it comes to the success of our Army? Because the Army is people. It doesn't really matter what branch you are, what MOS you have. Uh, what, you, what you represent around the world is two things, hope and fear. And it, the cloth of this great nation, the uniform that we get the privilege to wear— are the indicators of those, right? Because you look at it, what people look for when there's a natural disaster or there's or some sort of invasion or there's some sort of big problem or earthquake, you name it, right? Who do they look for? They look for us, right? They look for us to come in and help them get their lives back straight. And what do our adversaries know? When we show up on the battlefield, we bring the American people with us. We bring, we bring the power of this great nation wherever we go. And, it, and it's represented by our uniforms. So that's why this is so important. You know, I look at things through a lens of training, maintaining morale, discipline, and teamwork. That's what the people want, really, in their organizations. What does training mean? It, it divines tenacity. That's, what, that's why we train. We build the tenacity of the American people, the fixed resolve not to quit. That's why our training is as tough and as rich as it is. And then maintaining is about holistic training it's not just your equipment it's your it's your personal relationships it's your actual families you name it 
And, and it's also about your personal health, that your holistic health and fitness program is about your organizational structures. So that's what maintaining really means. Morale is pretty simple. Uh, you know, people want to, it, it really, it's not a bunch of days off and stuff, right? It's really not a much, they thank you for your service and those kinds of things, which is nice to hear. I got a great friend, Dave Bellavia, who's a Medal of Honor recipient. And every time he hears, thank you for your service from someone, he looks him right back in the eye and says, you're worth it. And frankly, that's what morale is, right? That's what it is. Common purpose, goals, direction. Making sure kid, the, the kids are getting paid on time. They're getting the right uh, medical care, the right dental care, the right, you know, you name it, right? That's what morale's about. It's about people caring about one another, about leaders investing in the process. And then discipline is pretty simple to me. Good soldiers do what's right when nobody's looking, right? When that kid's on that cold and lonely post somewhere, you want to know that he or she will be alert and ready to react whatever condition happens, right? That's what you want. And frankly, all of this is teamwork, right? So I talked about Mike Garrett, right? So Mike Garrett, I know if I was in a cold and lonely place and I was hurting so bad, I know if he was still alive, he would come for me. He would find me and he would help me. That's that's the essence of trust in our business. That's what it means. And it goes back generations. And it goes back through the ages, really, into when we first started in 1775, right? So that's where it goes. And it's, it, and it's espoused in our values. And it's really in our DNA. And so that's why I think people are the most important thing in our army. Sorry, I don't think it could be said any better. I think you summed it up very nicely there. Um, so that would be our last question, but okay. we're going to throw one more out Uh-oh. to you. We always ask this. Yes. We ask a series to all our guests. This all is right. the last one we ask. Sir, what's your favorite movie? Wow. Yep. That's a tough one. That's usually the response Be- we get. Believe it or not, um, Forrest Gump. Luke's a big fan of that one. Yeah, I like it that is. one too. Luke's I, a big fan of that frankly, one. Frankly, it shows the American experience, at least from Vietnam on, and you can see the the and frankly, uh, Gary Sinise is a friend of mine. And is I that and right? it, yeah, so and and is a great, great uh, American patriot who takes incredible care of our great army. And so, you know, a shout out for Gary and and Tom Hanks, who's been so great for our World War II veterans and, and all of our veterans, actually. So shout out to those two. But I think it's Forrest Gump. Excellent. No, that's, this is a good end so we can have Gary on the podcast. At some yeah, time I think you should yeah, get him. Absolutely, I mean, sir. Fantastic. We'd, be, we'd be happy to have him. Yeah, he tell truly him is a patriot. Yeah. Absolutely, sir. Well, a big, big fan of uh, Forrest Gump as well, uh, but a big fan of General Funk and Tradoc. Uh, we, we love being a part of the team and, and everything that matters for that. And thank you, sir. And thank you for coming on and making the time for us. Absolutely. Remember, victory starts here. Victory starts here. Thanks for listening to The Convergence. I'd like to thank our guest, General Paul E. Funk II, Commanding General of the Training and Doctrine Command. You can connect with Mad Scientist through Twitter at ArmyMadSci, and don't forget to subscribe to our blog, The Mad Scientist Laboratory, at madsciblog.tradoc.army.mil. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider giving us a rating or review on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you accessed it. This feedback helps us to improve future episodes of The Convergence and allows us to reach a bigger and broader audience.